Not you, a bunch. What is that? Can you tell what was playing on Rocket before I walked in? Was it Stone Temple Pilots? No, it is Crawling by Linkin Park. Oh, I, I didn't hear any of the lyrics. I only I could only go by your impression of the singer. <laughs> Which I, I I like Chester Bennington. I'm not too far off. The crawling yeah. in my skin. <laughs> it it whatever part you were just singing lacked some of that high end range that he's famous for, and so the low end <laughs> to me sounded more Scott Weiland. Both with their own troubles. Uh Similar wonder, troubles, gotta say. I wonder what Scott Weiland singing Lincoln Park would sound like. I I'm trying to think. It would be more <laughs> it'd be more like a crawling in my skin. Yes. He's exactly like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly like that. <laughs> no 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 nothing uh nothing that would even remotely resemble a professional singer. Um but e- exactly like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I uh, I was never a fan of Linkin Park, but I know that's like a, a generational thing it's, between um, you and me. Yeah, actually, there's a really good uh, there's a really good podcast that uh, Aaron, the downvoter, turned me on to um, called the POD Cast, and <laughs> <laughs> it is a new metal podcast. Oh god! Uh, they only do one episode a month, so <laughs> it, it's not it's not a that's about, a that's about all the new metal one can stand. It really is. Uh, but they did an episode on uh, Hybrid Theory, Linkin Park's debut album, because uh, uh, um, this month or like a couple of weeks ago was the 20th anniversary of the album, right? Yeah, yeah. And they had a really good point. Uh, one of the hosts was like, uh, I'm listening to this for the first time as a 40-year-old man, and I hate it. But if I was listening to this for the first time as an 8-year-old, as a 12-year-old, I, I would love it. I'd be all about it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, it's one of those albums and one of those bands that Reddit loves. And so they pop oh, up God, on music. Yeah. <laughs> they pop up on our music constantly. And I go in there and I just see all the people like, oh, man, this brings me back. And I used to feel every lyric. Like, What are you talking about? <laughs> I used to feel every <laughs> lyric, man. Shut up. God damn. <laughs> I, yeah. I, did, I did really like Linkin Park. I, I will say that. But then again, I was the exact demo and age yes. range they were going for. So yeah, like yeah. if if I didn't like Linkin Park, I, I think there would be something wrong with me. It, it would, <laughs> given Yeah, man, you wouldn't be cool. Yeah. But th- then again, all of uh, all my friends in high school that I was friends with who were like, "Oh yeah, into all the the cool bands." Nobody else liked Linkin Park. They they were they were poser <laughs> trash. Yeah. That uh, I'm sure there's you know there's embarrassing bands that I liked in my in my past that were were super angsty and really spoke to my teenage soul, but I, I can't think of any off the top of my head. But they're they're just as laughable, I'm sure. Oh boy, I could probably go through all of my high school band tees and just cringe myself to death. I, I could tell I you, still wear all my high school band tees. I, I can tell you one right now that I still have in my closet at my dad's house. Uh, it's yeah. from a screamo band called the Tony Danza Tap Dance Extravaganza. That was a band? That was a band. Where and were they from? I have no idea. <laughs> I heard a couple of songs of them, and I was like, I like these guys. And I have not gone back to listen to them in about uh, probably 12 years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, I guess emo is probably like the most embarrassing thing that I used to listen to. I mean, going back to... 
that sort of like I don't know dashboard confessional was more like college, but I was still kind of into it. Yeah, um, at least his first you know his first yeah. album really. Well, you were you were already into. Excuse me, I think you were already out of college whenever emo became like really big, right? Like around like from like oh four to oh seven, I think. Yeah, yeah. If you want to talk about it in waves, like the first wave to me. Well, I don't know about for, but anyway, like the Get Up Kids and and bands like that, I used to listen to. Yeah. You go back even further, and you know, I'm sure, and find other bands that were doing the same kind of thing. But yeah, like oh, the Get Up Juliana Theory, oh, uh, okay. bands like that. Yeah, um, and then, but then, yeah, it really exploded with Coheed and Cambria, who were kind of at the end of that first wave, I think. And mm-hmm. um, who are the ones? Who are the ones that did My Friends Over You? Who's that? Oh God. I still choose my friends over you. Yeah. Uh, oh, that... Today was another big one for, uh, for my wave. Is my friends over you? That's not four years strong, newfound, is it? Newfound, newfound glory. glory. Newfound glory. You're yeah, right. Yeah. It's newfound glory. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, well, I, the only reason I pinpointed 04 to 07 specifically is because that's what I feel is like the height of of emo and those are the exact years i was in middle school so <laughs> it, it goes like hand in hand perfectly yeah all right we better get going i don't know how many songs we've sang that um we don't have the rights to so we'll see well i if we're if we're if we're the ones singing them we're covered it's fine oh uh, is that true i i think so because we're not playing the audio yeah yeah there, there's no copyright we're, infringement if we're, we're the ones singing it it's like karaoke well, but karaoke does pay a licensing if you if you have karaoke in your in your bar and stuff. But you know what? I always think that's weird. I always notice in movies, you know, like when somebody sings a little like a tune, um, like if you were in a movie and you said and you sang that "My Friends Over You," at the end it would say "My Friends Over You." Words and lyrics by Newfound Glory, performed by Ted Hollowell. Oh wow! Okay. Have you ever noticed that at the end of a movie, like when they just sing a <laughs> yeah, little song? I guess I forgot yeah. about that. You're right. <laughs> and I think that has to do with you know they. I mean, you use the words and music just because it's a different. You know, it's a cover. You know, you'd have to pay. I don't know the rules. I don't know the rules. I just, I just <laughs> pick up. I just glean little bits of information like that along the way. So, all right, uh, should we get started? Let me ask you first. Uh, yeah, let's get started. <laughs> all right, welcome to No Hugging, No Learning. Uh, it's a show about one thing: watching Seinfeld for the first time. I'm Tim Murphy. I'm Ted Hollowell. And today we will be talking about The Caddy, Season 7, Episode 12. But before that, we had some homework and uh, trivia and tidbits from The Rye. Did we? And Yeah, we did have <laughs> okay. a little bit. Yeah, you're thinking of la- a couple weeks ago. We uh, had okay, absolutely that's right. nothing. That's right. But we did write down a couple of things. Uh, first was, Jerry says, this isn't a... This, you know, uh, he holds up the can of starfish tuna and sa- he says, this is for Biosphere 3. Uh, and... That's a reference to Biosphere 2, and I found out there was no Biosphere 1, because Biosphere 1 is technically Earth. Oh. That's just what, yeah, that's just what you call the ecosystem is the biosphere, okay. <laughs> or any ecosystem, I guess, or any <laughs> self-contained ecosystem like that. So when they called it Biosphere 2, uh, it was like calling it Earth 2 or whatever, you know. So it was um, an Earth System Science Research Facility located in Oracle, Arizona, constructed between 87 and 91. And it's been owned by the University of Arizona since 2011. And it was just for, you know, research, outreach, teaching, lifelong learning about Earth and its living systems. And it's a 3.14 acre structure originally built to be artificial, materially closed ecological system. It does remain the largest closed system ever created. Hmm. Yeah. And uh, they wanted to demonstrate the viability of closed ecological systems to support and maintain human life in outer space as a substitute for Earth's biosphere. In addition to the several biomes and living quarters for people, there's an agricultural area and 
Let me see. Oh, its mission was a two-year closure experiment with a crew of eight humans known as Biospherians. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Biosphere 2 was only used twice for its original intended purpose as a closed system experience, one from 91 to 93, and a second time from March to September of 94. Uh, both attempts, though heavily publicized, ran into problems, including low amounts of food and oxygen, die-offs of the many animals and plants in the experiment, and group dynamic tensions among the resident crew, mm. outside politics, and a power struggle over management and direction of the project. So it sounds like... Really, everybody was just sick of each other by by 94. <laughs> uh, but, of course, it did inspire the 1996 movie Biodome, which if we're talking about things that were out oh my targeted God. directly at you at the right time, Biodome <laughs> was definitely starring Polly Shore and Stephen Baldwin. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Oh. As two stoners who get locked in a, a biosphere type uh, environment. <laughs> yeah. Pretty great. Pretty. I mean, poly, the height of Polly Shore's superpowers, you know, 96, really. As suspected, Beefarino is a fictional beef and pasta concoction. So the, the jingle that Kramer made up, I couldn't find any information about it. I guess it was just written by the writers. Nice. Okay. Yeah. I, and uh, did, you, did you find any, like, 100% indication that it is supposed to be Beefaroni? From Chef Boyardee, yeah, I'm guessing on the on the Wikipedia page it does say based on the real life Beefaroni. Okay, so yeah, I guess it's just the closest, yeah, straight line to that name, like Beefaroni, Beefarino. Just move the I and the O. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, actress who Jerry steals the marble rye from, I recognized her as the titular character's grandma in Happy Gilmore. I think I said mom. No, maybe I, I don't remember what I said, but uh, um, yeah, it's, he plays. She plays Happy Gilmore's grandma in that movie her name is Frances bay she was born in january of 1919 in canada and actually started her career in the 30s as a radio actress really yeah wow. uh, but she she really hit her stride in the 70s appearing in tv and film roles until 1976 uh in her while well, in her mid-50s beginning with a small part uh that was like she had a, uh, an amazing run from i guess 70 to 76 um she had a part in foul play with goldie hawn and chevy chase and she played Mrs. Hamilton in the Christmas television special Christmas Time with Mr. Rogers. And her first major television appearance role was playing the Fo uh, Fonzie's grandmother on Happy Days <laughs> in three episodes, including the series finale. She was also in the series finale of Who's the Boss? And she had small roles in Karate Kid, Big Top Pee Wee, Twins, Arachnophobia, The Wedding Planner. Uh, she plays, I remember, I, I recognized her once I read this too. Uh, the aunt of Kyle MacLachlan's character in David Lynch's Blue Velvet. Have you mm, ever seen that? I haven't. Ah, really weird, but but a great flick. There, and she was in a couple more Lynch productions, Wild at Heart, Twin Peaks, and the Twin Peaks movie Fire Walk With Me. She was also in two seasons of The Middle, which I haven't watched, but people like that show. I mean, Grey's Anatomy, The X-Files, Golden Girls, Cheers, Dukes of Hazard, ALF, Quantum Leap, oh and God. Ted, she does have one Disney credit. <laughs> of course. She was in one episode of Hannah Montana. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. And here's a real crazy thing. If you saw her act after 2002, she was involved in an auto accident in Glendale in 02, and she had her leg amputated below the knee. Wow. Oh, my God. Yeah. And she, she's already, she's already uh, 80 at this point. 83. Yeah. 82, 83 years old. Oh, my God. And, was, and still doing a ton of acting at that, after 02. Yeah, like several of her credits came in the the last, you know, the the last. Uh, let me see, nine years of her life. She died in uh, um, twenty eleven at the age of ninety two. But yeah, I had no idea about her leg. Kind of crazy. 
That, that's that's crazy that she was acting that long, but go her. That's awesome. I know. I know. I mean, she's just another one of those grandma character <laughs> actors that I think she started playing a grandma when she was like 50 or something, which, you know, isn't isn't out of the isn't crazy. But in Hollywood, you know, normally, if you I don't know if, if you're going by adult film standards, anyone, yeah. anyone older than 27 <laughs> is a mom and anyone older than 40 is a grandma. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, or step grandma, depending on what kind you're watching. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's true. What would it take to be a step grandma? <laughs> I guess is that the grandmother of your step parent? No, Do you it, call it them. Would, no, it, it would be uh, your 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 grandpa's new wife. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> But so, what do you call the grandmother step, of your step grandma? No, grandpa's out in the garage. He's never gonna know. Stop, please stop. Um, but what damn. would you call? What do you call the grandparent of a of a of a step parent? Do you just call him grandma? Uh, I I guess so. It, would it be Would it be grandparent once removed? Oh, that I don't know. I I always. I, I always get lost in the once removed or twice removed. Uh, you know, I I'm think not that's sure. more about cousin Is relationships. Okay. Yeah, but I but I don't know. I think that would be like the, your, the grandma of your cousin or something. But anyway, it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just a weird thing I never thought of before. I, I looked. I tried to look up and see if there were actual horse fart sounds that ever <laughs> in any broadcast of this episode ever, and I, I couldn't find it. Even even like a video uploaded on YouTube a while ago didn't have any so I, I guess it was just a, a false memory based on the way the crowd is reacting and kind of laughing at nothing but i couldn't even find any information about if they had to edit it out or, or whatever oh so, wow okay yeah it just either wasn't ever there or <laughs> the or the censors got it like we thought according to the notes about nothing feature on the season seven dvd the original title for this episode was the price club i think i like the rye better makes yeah, more sense i do too the the, yeah. the price club doesn't really <laughs> come into a- anything other than why Kramer has 50 industrial cans of Beefarino. <laughs> yeah. Uh, writer Kara Leifer got the story of visitors bringing a rye bread and then taking it back after the guests forgot to serve it from a high school friend, who I guess that happened to them or something. Uh, the plot point of Jerry having to steal a marble rye bread from the woman ahead of him in, in line at the bakery was contributed by Seinfeld co-creator Larry David. Uh, not that I don't know if it ever happened to him or not, but, um, you know, it is just kind of a repeat of the Bobka. So I don't yeah. know how you can attribute it to anybody. <laughs> well, was was the Bobka attributed to Larry David as well? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> yeah, I did both. Uh, I, was, uh, I wanted to go to lunch that day. So <laughs> I just I just resubmitted an old idea. Yeah, we, we had an episode due at five and it was 415 and I just wanted to cut out early and I hadn't started anything yet. So I just hit control C and control V on a season <laughs> yeah. three script. Yeah, I did a I did a find and replace on Bobka and just put Rye in. <laughs> uh, Elaine's voiceover in the opening scene was recorded by Julia Louis Dreyfus beforehand and played back during filming so that she could synchronize her facial expressions and movements with the narration, mm. which I did notice when they did that. Uh, many of the outdoor scenes were filmed at Paramount Studio, where Jerry Seinfeld started a massive snowball fight with the entire cast and crew using the fake snow. And I read that it lasted like 25 minutes in some cases. Oh, my God. Yeah, Jeez. I know. <laughs> uh, here's something interesting. Jerry Seinfeld states on a DVD commentary, on the DVD commentary, I guess, for this, that this is his favorite episode of the series. And I had never heard that before about really? this episode. Okay. Yeah. So I did find some other uh, times when he said that uh, what his other favorite episodes were. In a 2017 interview with GQ, he said, I really like the pothole, which we haven't gotten to yet. But I also love the marine biologist and the mm-hmm. yada yada. 
And on a Reddit AMA in 2014, this is where it may may have come from. It may not be his favorite episode, but it may have been his favorite episode to shoot. Uh, because someone asked him what was his favorite episode to film, and he said, The Ride, because we got to shoot at Paramount Studios in L.A., which was the first time we thought, wow, this is almost like a real TV show. We hadn't felt like a real TV show. (laughs) The early years were not successful, and so it's crazy that by season seven, with only two seasons up, they were like, this is it. We're a real TV show. We're shooting on like a real film lot and everything, Um, which, you know, I mean, I thought they were already, but... Yeah, um, where were they filming before... Before, I'm guessing, did they did they film on the Paramount lot uh, from the Rye going forward? Yeah, yeah, I, I don't that I don't know. Okay, um, because I know they had to move back and forth due to like a fire between here and there, and then like there was one point where I think w- during that transitional time uh, around the fire, um, Paramount was trying to like court them and say, hey, why don't you just film here the whole time or whatever? So maybe the L.A. set, maybe the L.A. film set is different than the TV studio set. You know, that could be. Mm, okay. And so the fact that um, he said we had this idea of a marble rye and we had to shoot it in an outdoor set and this was a very expensive thing to do. It's like a movie place there at Paramount in L.A. Their standing set for New York looks exactly like it. And we thought this is where the adult shows are, the <laughs> real shows like Murphy Brown. <laughs> we felt like we were uh, a weird little orphan show. So it was a big deal for us. And that was very exciting. We were up all night shooting it on the set of Paramount and it was very exciting. So, yeah, it must it must be the difference between a TV set and a movie set, you know. TV used to be a lot less cinematic than it is today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, here's, a, here's something that somebody noticed. How weird is it that Mr. and Mrs. Ross, that when they meet Kramer, they presumably don't realize he's the one who burnt down their cabin in season four? Oh, I didn't even well, put that I, together. Yeah, I mean, well, I wonder what the... Re- I mean, it's already been rebuilt, as we find out in this episode. Um, so I wonder if they were just like, well... We don't want to know the reason because we can, you know, claim insurance or whatever rather than negligence. And 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 I don't know if anybody knew Kramer was going to be there anyway, besides, you know, the 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 big four or whatever. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's just kind of weird that it never came to light. And also, the Kramer was playing it so cool. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's it. Oh, I did go back and look at the walk poster from the Sponge. Oh yeah. Uh, from from the second pharmacy that Elaine goes to, and it definitely does say AIDS above it, uh, but it's like but it's like chopped in half. You only see the bottom of that, so um, yeah, it does say AIDS Walk New York on it. Okay, okay, yep. I mean that, that's that's what I expected, but I I thought that it was a uh, too too much of a coincidence that oh yeah, there's also the radio station called Walk FM in New York. Yeah. Uh, all right. Did we have any news or anything? I don't think I saw any news. I saw we got some tweets from the public. Do we want to do that at the end? Uh, I mean, I, I was uh, I was going to give some give some okay. shout outs here. Uh, if you are if you've never listened to us before, we are not a research heavy show. Uh, we like to do our homework through, or we like to have questions pop up through the run of the episode and assign them to ourselves the week after, as though we are giving ourselves homework. Uh, if we miss anything, if we egregiously skip over anything, please send us a tweet or send us an email at no hugging on Twitter or no hugging no learning show at gmail.com. Both of those links are. Are in our description or on the show description page on Apple Podcasts. If you like what you hear, please give us a five-star rating and a written review, just like Angela012345 did, saying that she has been listening to them for over a year now, and I look forward to new podcasts every week. I love all the homework they do. It's always stuff I've been interested to know, but I'm too lazy to look up. And they've even pointed out things that I've missed. They've both been entertaining to listen to, and I think I laugh more listening to them than I do the actual show. I can't wait to see what podcast they start when they are finished with Seinfeld. Angela, thank you. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, really. 
Uh, but uh, if you send us your mailing address, we will hook you up with an awesome No Hugging, No Learning holographic sticker. Uh, also, shout outs to uh, Cody Tharp and BlizzBaby on Twitter for checking us out. And to Kate Steinberg for being <laughs> incredibly patient waiting for her sticker. I, I don't know why I put myself in charge of mailing these things out, but oh my God, <laughs> I'm so bad at it. Uh, but I, I, Kate, I gotta send one to you. Or actually, as you're listening to this, I will have sent it out on Monday, this past Monday. Uh, so I gotta send one out to you. And I believe there's at least one or two more people buried in our email inbox that I'll have to, uh, control F and, uh, find those. <laughs> um, but, uh, I, I will get those out if you want one. It, seriously, even if you don't leave us a review, I've got a stack of these. I'll, I'll send you one. Just get it. Just get me your mailing address. Doesn't matter at this point. <laughs> Uh, that being said, Season 7, Episode 12, The Caddy, original air date, January 25th, 1996. I was three years, one month, and one month and five days old. And if you count this episode and every other episode left, Tim, we've got 55 episodes before we become a mid-2000s pop-punk emo music karaoke podcast. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just like this one where, you know, there are, there are other TV show podcasts where they actually play clips of the show, but I, I like the fact that we just go, oh, I like that part where Jerry said this. But yeah, so we're, I, I say we do a complete deep dive in the, in the history of emo from, you know, the, the roots in, in, you know, punk rock of the 80s, 70s and 80s, all the way up to current day and sing every song that we reference. We don't get... Uh, any like clips of the songs, but we do interview the artists, and we <laughs> and we just get like uh whatever the guy from Newfound Glory is uh on the podcast, and we just say, man, I loved when you went, my friends over you, <laughs> and, and we do yeah. like the 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 shitty inflection in our voices too, <laughs> yeah. and what we our main goal is just to get them to go, what the fuck was that? <laughs> hey, um, Gerard Way's on the show. W- when you did that song that was like when I. I was a young boy. <laughs> what was that like? <laughs> we 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 get Claudio Sanchez from Coheed and Cambria. Man, whenever you held that guitar and went, oh my god, they will love that. They'll they'll love it. It's gonna go over great. Yep. <sighs> All right, where, where where was I? If you're looking at TV Guide the night of January 25th, 1996, you are going to see Kramer befriends a caddy who helps him improve his golf game. Hmm. I think we'll be able to make that better, but we'll I try think so too. at the end. And we start with stand-up. We're back to stand-up after a break from opening with stand-up. And this is about how it was really, it was weird. This was a weird premise to... To, I guess it's why are people shocked when people get hit at golf tournaments? <laughs> I um, <laughs> I, I wouldn't have started there. <laughs> I feel like you can lead up to something like that, right? <laughs> and uh, maybe it's because I don't watch a ton of golf, but was golf a- as highly rated as uh, t- in order to like write a whole thing about this? And and <laughs> I mean, I, I don't. I mean, I don't know. I, it was just a. Uh, I couldn't wrap my. I couldn't get on board with the premise. I guess that's mm-hmm. what I'm trying to say. No, I, I'm. I'm with you. I thought this was real weird. <laughs> and I was like, it is right to be shocked when someone gets injured. Like, I don't care how <laughs> crowded around a golf hole they are. Like, it's still not supposed to happen. Like, I don't know whose fault it is, but I will be shocked if someone gets hit with a golf ball. You know. <laughs> um, 
And oh, also, and then also, this really confused me too. About uh, I, I liked where he was going. Like, oh, the cameraman has a really tough job. He's got to follow that ball, the white ball against the white sky, and then find it on the ground. But then he <laughs> then then he's like, why not just take a ball out of your pocket and throw it on the green? Who's taking the ball out of their pocket? The cameraman or the golfer, <laughs> Ted? Did you get this? I I guess I I did. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I, who I, who has the ball? The player, or the cameraman. I'm guessing the cameraman, right? But yeah, the cameraman would have to throw it to the green, wouldn't he? He's not on the green. He's not standing on the green. Thank you. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> he's not standing five feet away from the hole. Then again, if he's standing on the hole, maybe he's the one getting hit with the golf ball. Maybe uh, I don't know. This was a weird. This was this was unfinished. This felt unfinished. You know, <laughs> this is this is a I draft. Felt- this was a, this is a draft of a joke that he wrote in his notebook the night before. <laughs> yeah, I felt like he was working it out, and we shouldn't have been filming this. <laughs> I had never heard this bit before. I had I I don't know. It was I you know maybe he did have like five minutes to write golf stuff. It's like hey, we were going to um. You know, we're going to run your great car accident bit, but we think a bit about golf would be better for this episode. Like, oh, gosh, well, I don't have any. Okay, <laughs> let me see what I can do. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't even think maybe maybe some of these stand-up scenes were one of Jerry's ways of working out new material to see, like, what the what the reaction to it was. I see him as more of a perfectionist than that. Yeah. Like, yeah, I I feel like if he's going to work out new material, he's going to do like a, a two o'clock spot at the Gotham or something. Yeah, like two a.m. Yeah, yeah, that's what that's what <laughs> yeah. I meant. No, like yeah. two, two p.m. on a 2 Tuesday. PM? <laughs> um, yeah, I, and and I feel like I don't even know if he works. I remember him talking to Marin about how he works stuff. I don't even know if he actually works stuff out anymore. I think he's just. I think he's. I always saw him as one of these guys. It's like I'm right, and if you don't think it's funny, you're wrong. And I, I'm. And I don't think there's anything necessarily. I mean, he's made a great career out of that. Mm-hmm. You know, just being so confident in his comedic abilities. Like, no, I know this is funny. Uh, yeah, I, 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 him working stuff out just seems like a weird concept because it's all so sharply. You know, he like whittles it down until it's like the sharpest, quickest joke it can be. And this one, just, this one just was all over the place as far as just starting off in a weird spot, and then this weird thing about throwing a ball down because I don't know who's going to know. <laughs> I think is what he says. <laughs> Uh, we do open in the apartment, and the Superman comic is on the fridge. Superman does not return to the fridge, but the Superman is on the bookshelf as well. So as long as that, as long as that Action Comics number one is still on there, Superman is technically still on the fridge. George has locked his keys in his car, and it's going to be in the Yankee Stadium lot until the auto club that he joined, the membership kicks in on that, which is going to be like three days. <laughs> where, did he, where did he say he got the free locksmith service from? For like from like a triple A, but he just says auto club. He was like, "Well, you know, okay. the, you join those auto clubs, you got a free locksmith." So uh, okay. I joined an auto club, and now I'm just waiting for the membership card or whatever. Well, he, he doesn't say how long it's going to be. He he only says how long it's been already, which oh. is, it's been it's been three days already. Oh, um, I see, I see. And I'm guessing by the by the end of uh, this episode, it's like a week and a half, and he still hasn't heard back from uh, the auto club or whatever it is. <laughs> Either that or. Or unlocking the keys is like not on his agenda anymore, you know. Because That's of true. like, why That's would true. I? Why would I need the keys? I don't need the keys now. <laughs> um, and Kramer is, even though it's winter, sneaking onto golf courses because he has a new caddy named Stan, 
and he's never wrong. He has upped his golf game. Kramer is thinking he's good enough to be on the senior tour. His dream's coming true, and he's even getting wardrobe advice from Stan as far as like <laughs> but but Stan gives all of his advice all of his advice in golf terms. So you know, he's like, I'll tell you what you do. You bring a light jacket and then if the sun comes out, you play the jacket off the cardigan or something like that. <laughs> you know, he he talks in golf terms, so that was uh, a funny trait. And then they both leave and then there's a there's an odd button on the scene where Jerry and George go, "Stan the caddy" in unison to yeah, nobody. That was weird. <laughs> uh, it, it didn't it didn't need that <laughs> it felt like you know they didn't know how to end it so they're like oh you guys both like make a hand motion like leading them off a made-up stage and then both say stay in the caddy like no one would do that that was the, really weird they must have hired a pa like off of broadway and this was their <laughs> this was their attempt to make a big splash and yeah. they're like yeah this is not good Stan the caddy. Stan the caddy. <laughs> they might as well have gone, that's our Kramer in unison <laughs> as well. <laughs> oh, that Kramer of mine. <laughs> that's our Kramer. We'll be right back. Uh, out on the street, Elaine is spotted by a woman she calls the brawlest wonder. Uh, <laughs> and uh, she asks, you know, how you doing? And she's like, oh, I've just been hanging out, which I, th- I thought was really that was, funny. <laughs> that was a really good line. Oh, my God. And she invites Elaine to her birthday party, and Elaine can't go, but she says, oh, well, I, I hope you can give me a present anyway. <laughs> and then she kind of laughs, so it, it, it was a joke or it wasn't a joke. I don't know. Um, but side note, HD remastering has been very kind to this episode. Oh, it, it works wonders for this episode, Ted. <laughs> I saw things that I had never seen before uh, in this episode. <laughs> Gee, I wonder what you're talking about there, Tim. <laughs> I mean, just uh, as far as standard definition, old, you know, CRT <laughs> monitor that I was watching on. And today, yeah, yeah, we, we, we got it. Uh, over at Yankee Stadium, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Wilhelm comes into George's office right as he's about to throw a pa- uh, paper airplane. Uh, and he says he and Steinbrenner really appreciate all the hours that George has been putting in. And he's up for the assistant to the general manager position because the other guy's not working out. So George at first is like, what are they talking about? But then he kind of has an aha moment, where which uh, we get explained in the next scene in the apartment. George explains that his car is there when Steinbrenner shows up first thing in the morning. And his car is still there when Wilhelm leaves. Uh, he's the last person to leave at night. So between the two of them, George says, they think I'm pulling an 18-hour day. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> and I, I really like Jerry's line here because he said, or George says that he's up for the assistant to the GM. And Jerry's like, that's a hell of an organization they're running up there. Can't believe they haven't won a pennant in 15 years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Elaine comes in and she says that she ran into, now we know the brawless wonder's name is Sue Ellen Mischke. And she's the heir to the O. Henry candy bar fortune, uh, one of the, and also an old high school friend. But she talks about how this woman has never, since she's known her, ever worn a bra. And I love how George and Jerry feign. Oh my disgust. god! The, the things that they they just say really quick. I, I mean, there was disgusting. It, it's a shameless thing. She's rude. I think George even says she's a pig. 
Oh, that was. I oh thought my it was god! So, I thought it was such a funny bit how they kept going and talking over each other. And Elaine is like, "All right, you know what? Forget it." And she goes to leave. <laughs> Um, and one reason that she does not like Sue Ellen Mishka is because she stole Elaine's boyfriend in high school. And we get an interesting flashback of this high school party. First of all, I noticed everybody's drinking Tab. Oh, <laughs> man, I didn't see that. Yeah, which is kind of newsworthy. Again, we can't take credit for it because we didn't do this podcast beforehand. But I think uh, Coke just – and I did not know they were even still making it. But they said they're finally going to stop making Tab. Oh. Yeah. Um, so we can't take credit for killing Tab, but it is happening. So if you see it, hoard it because you're, you're not going to see that pink can anywhere uh, for a while. I, I would and say I would say you'd be able to sell it on eBay, but uh, eBay doesn't nope. allow you to sell expired food anymore. Nope. And Elaine has uh, all of a sudden has this idea to buy to actually buy a present for Sue Ellen's birthday. She's going to buy her a bra. Over at Monks, George shows up uh, and. Jerry is very surprised that he's here. He's like, what are you doing here? Because it's the middle of the work day. It's interesting that I don't know if George knew Jerry was going to be there or just decided to show up. But, like, Monks is not near Yankee Stadium. No. Monks is near Jerry's apartment. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, we, we learned that, uh, what, Yankee Stadium is in the Bronx. How far is the Bronx from, uh, what, is Jerry's in the Upper East Side or Upper West Side? Uh, West Side. He's on the West Side. Okay. I, I'm guessing that's at least a half an hour drive. Yeah, yeah, you'd be right. I did some driving math for for a, seg- a sequence a little bit later, but yeah, Jerry's apartment is about a half an hour from Yankee Stadium by driving like on a go- at a at a good time. So middle <laughs> of the day, he probably could make it in a half an hour. But if he leaves at four four thirty to go to Monk, it's, it's going to take be, like an hour, hour and a half. Yeah, I would say that's accurate. Um, yeah, so I mean, he he had to drive all the way down there. And didn't know if Jerry was going to be there because Jerry's surprised that he's there. So, <laughs> I mean, he's really taken off. <laughs> I mean, he's um, and he's he's like, yeah, you know, uh, I'm, I'm thinking about getting out of town with Susan for a couple of days. You know, her parents rebuilt the cabin, he says. So here's where we find out uh, that that's been rebuilt, as I mentioned earlier. And I loved his line here. Jerry's like, aren't you worried that they're going to notice that you're not there? And I love he's like. Any my, my presence in that office can only hurt my chances. This is great. <laughs> this is such a good line. I felt that line so hard. <laughs> I hate being seen in the office. Do you really? Oh man. Oh yeah. I hate. I I, I dislike people remembering that I'm there. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, that guy. What is that guy still doing here? <laughs> See, I have I have the opposite effect. Beca- yeah. Maybe it's because I still feel like I am the one helping out with a lot of like tech stuff that. Yeah. Everyone over the age of 40 just cannot grasp here. <laughs> and I, I, I feel like that is still helping me out, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. I, and I am a I am a cog in a machine that has been running the same way since, <laughs> like, 1980 or whatever. And I, I'm, I'm a little jiggly. You know, I, want, I, want, I think the machine can work a little differently. And uh, so I don't want anyone to like go in monkeying with the innards and uh, remove that jiggly, <laughs> remove that jiggly cog, <laughs> remove that jiggly cog. So what you're saying yeah. is, uh, you you don't want anyone to fix what isn't broken, but there is maybe a better cog that could be available. No, I don't think. Well, uh, that to them, yes. <laughs> okay, okay, but not to me. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, they they could put like a a factory original, you know, an OEM, an original equipment manufacturer cog in there. 
but I think the I think the cheaper one you got from that here. Chinese website is better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's why I just like nobody to I I like to pretend no one actually nobody is listening when I'm you know when I'm doing my thing <laughs> and, and uh, yeah. So I, I like I, I'm with George. My presence in that office can only hurt my chances of being promoted or whatever. <laughs> um, over at Elaine's office, Sue Ellen comes in to visit her uh, again. A surprise to like Sue Ellen's here to see you. Uh, her receptionist says, and she comes in and she's wearing the bra under a blazer, under an open blazer. And <laughs> Elaine is like, uh, Sue Ellen, and this is a, a classic line. I feel like it, it's not a top; it's a bra. And then Sue Ellen goes, oh, I know. Thanks again. And here's what I wrote down. Is Sue Ellen a bitch? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Or, or is she just oblivious to the fact that Elaine got her a bra? This thing that she has never worn. <laughs> no, no, no. She knew it was a bra. She said, oh, I know. I know it's a bra. And this is. This is how I'm going to wear it. So I think it was just, I think Elaine, like Jerry said earlier, well, there's nothing subtle about that uh, when she says she's going to get her a bra. And, <laughs> and, and George goes, um, you know, never, she might just think it's a gift. And George and Jerry goes, in, our, in all the years we've known each other, have I ever bought you a jock strap as a gift? Um, so it, it was a, Elaine was doing it to throw shade. And I think this was Sue Ellen's way of throwing it right back and going, oh, I know it's a bra. And I know you don't agree with my braless lifestyle, but. Here's the way I'm gonna wear this now, you know, just uh, as as a shirt. <laughs> Which, if if you stop and think, like that would be Jerry buying George a jockstrap because he just doesn't want to see George slanging his hog everywhere. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like that episode. Um, we already we already saw the episode where um, Kramer starts freeballing it, right? I don't think we have. Really? Oh, I wonder. Yeah, what, what episode I'm, is that? Hang on, let me see. Remember the one where he's like, he tries, he his sperm count is low. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and we he did to, see that He has to one. wear boxers? That's right. We have seen that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I thought so. I didn't want to ruin anything <laughs> for you. Whoops. Oh, it's the Chinese woman. The Chinese woman episode. Yeah. Oh, that's right. So he, he tries boxers and he doesn't like them, and then he uh, then he starts freeballing it. I'm loving every minute of it, <laughs> is what he says. So, um, yeah, they were not, and they were not comfortable with that, so... Um, but yeah, I, I, but I can't say that Sue Ellen is a total bitch because Elaine was being kind of a bitch, and and uh, I'm sorry for using that term. Damn, <laughs> like I know you're just throwing know that out everywhere. <laughs> and well, I well, I don't know what other what other word to use, and I and I know it's it's uh you know as as two like white males, <laughs> um, we sometimes get into situations where we um are we're like, should we be saying that word? Uh, but anyway, do you know what I mean? Like, did 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 Elaine deserve? Like, was she doing it to be mean? Did she show up like this to be mean? She didn't show up for any reason except to say, except to be in the bra mm-hmm. and thank Elaine for it, I guess, which she could have done over the phone. So this was a calculated move, I guess, is what I'm I, saying. Yeah, I, I, I think I, I think you're definitely accurate in that because she could have, like you said, she could have thanked Elaine over the phone. She wanted Elaine to see how she was wearing the bra. She wanted yeah. a, she wanted Elaine to see that she's not going to wear the bra in the way that Elaine wants her to. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. And, and, but Elaine bought her a bra to sort of make her, you know, was, that was a calculated move too. And Sue Ellen, I, I think they're frenemies. I think that's the best we can say about uh, Elaine and Sue Ellen. They're like high school friends that really don't have never liked each other, but because they're adults, they're acting like they do or whatever. They're being cordial adults. 
Over in the rebuilt cabin, Susan has a flyer that she got for a swap meet in town from a car, uh, from their car while they were in the restaurant. And all of a sudden, George has a panic and he calls Jerry uh, to get him to go down to the stadium to take the menus off of his car. And this is where I wrote down, it's a 30-minute drive each way from Jerry's apartment to the Yankee Stadium. So he really was asking for a huge favor from Jerry. (laughs) Um, and you know the crazy thing is it's only five miles, so it's like an hour and a half walk, or it's a thirty-minute drive each God, way. Yeah. So Kramer comes in, and George is, and Jerry's like, "Hey, you want to go down and uh, to Yankee Stadium and get the menus?" And Kramer's like, "Yeah." <laughs> like before, so Kramer was it, and, and Jerry's like, "I, I could have said anything, huh?" And Kramer's like, "Yeah." <laughs> um, and then Kramer does a great exit, like he they both turn around. Jerry is is in a straight line to the door and Kramer's in a straight line to the wall, which he walks and he turns around and walks <laughs> into the wall and then slide kind of slides out the door clumsily while the door is closing behind him. I thought it was one of the best exits he's done. <laughs> it was great up at Yankee stadium. The car is covered in flyers, not to mention bird poop as well. And so Kramer grabs a coat hanger and Jimmy's the lock, which I love. They're standing in a parking lot and Kramer's breaking into a car and, and Jerry's like, this is some life I've uh, I've got led or something like that. This is some <laughs> life I'm leading. Um, and they take it to Gentle Touch Car Wash. Uh, now, there is a Gentle Touch Car Wash in the Bronx. Mm. This is this is not the Gentle Touch Car Wash that they go to. Uh, by the way, it, the, the Bronx, I guess, is also just gigantic, too, because the gentle touch car wash that's in the Bronx is also like a 30 minute drive from Yankee stadium, which is in the Bronx. Oh my God. Uh, Yeah, I know it's crazy. But then again, I was doing that. Like I was timing it out during rush hour. So maybe it's a little bit shorter. I think, I think I did this at like four 30 on Friday. So maybe it's a little bit shorter any other time of day, but, um, but this gentle touch car wash. So I, I looked, I did a Google search. There's not really any identifying. There's an uh, Amico station next door. And I found, this site gramho.com g-r-a-m-h-o.com i don't know what it is it just seemed to be a collection of random instagram pictures but there was a hashtag on one of them that was gentle touch car wash or something like that Hmm. and so thanks to that random website i learned that this gentle touch car wash was on houston street between lafayette and crosby and I was able to get Google Street View in such a way. I was like, all right, where was it exactly on this little block? And if you noticed in the shot from Seinfeld, there's a water tower on top of a building in the background. That water tower and building are still there. Oh my so I was able God. to figure out. Yeah. <laughs> I was able to figure out that Gentle Touch Car Wash is, is no longer there, but it is now. And neither is the Amico station. They're both gone. It's now Gentle Touch is now a UPS store and the gas station is a Bank of America. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea when it closed or when those two opened, but but it was it was quite the internet detective uh hunt that was, I went on. It's sometime between 96 and 2020. We know that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. we, we we can pinpoint it to that. Yeah. Jerry and Kramer as they're leaving Gentle Touch Car Wash, they see Oh, by the way, so the Gentle Touch Car Wash that they went to is like I I think right around the corner from Jerry's apartment and so it's like a good they went <laughs> From the Bronx to the Upper West Side is what I'm saying, like, or, or the Village or something. I forget where it was exactly, but um, yeah, they went like way out of their way oh to go to this specific God. car wash. Yeah, they went like all the way back into Manhattan with George's car. <laughs> and Jerry and Kramer see Sue Ellen Mischke walking down the street, and 
Kramer gets distracted and he crashes the car. This is just some some grade A caveman shit. Like hot woman <laughs> boobs. Yeah, M- exactly. must look. <laughs> Up in the apartment, Jerry and Kramer are explaining to Elaine, who realizes from their description that they just saw Sue Ellen Mischke. So I guess that is one reason that, at least in the context of the story and the screenwriting of it, they had to have Sue Ellen show up so Elaine would know what they saw. Because if they were like, oh, we saw a woman in a bra walking down the street, Elaine would have been, wow, that's crazy. Yeah. But she was able to put it together because she had seen Sue Ellen just that day. And I guess that's the reason they had to go to the car wash in Manhattan, too, because <laughs> Elaine works in Manhattan. And, and they had to, for some reason, be driving in Manhattan. <laughs> if they would have went to the freaking Gentle Touch car wash in the Bronx, none of this would have happened. Nope. It would have just George would be assistant general manager to the Yankees right now. They would have Bonds and Griffey. <laughs> yeah, on the same outfield. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, she puts it together that they saw Sue Ellen Mischke and Kramer tries his golf swing and he can't. I mean, his shoulders all screwed up. And Elaine's like, we should sue her. And Kramer said, oh, no, I learned my lesson from that coffee company. And I was like, what lesson that yeah. lo- loaded people will pay up to stay out of court? That's the lesson you should have learned. Yeah. Like, what was the, what was the lesson that you got <laughs> all the coffee you could ever possibly drink? Yeah, and, and if not, and if you didn't get that, if you had waited for one second, he would have gotten what was it, fifty thousand dollars or something like that? Uh, it I don't was, remember what. It was a good sum of money. Yeah, Ma- maybe so that, like maybe that's what he was talking about. He's like, I can't trust myself in legal situations. I'll always settle for less. <laughs> but he still won. <laughs> like the lesson is, you won. <laughs> that's true. That's very true. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's when, you know, he asked Stan, and I, I did like this device, asking the caddy for advice in, in everything <laughs> that you do from wardrobe to now he's asking Stan for legal advice. And, and Stan says, go for the green, <laughs> uh, another great golf term. And he's like, do you know a good lawyer? Uh, and we cut to the great Jackie Childs making his return. And Kramer is recounting the story of seeing Sue Ellen and being distracted. And I love, I love Jackie's like, it's lewd, it's lascivious, it's salacious, outrageous. <laughs> I thought that was, I mean, he's so, he's so good. Such mm-hmm. a great character. Yeah. Uh, and when he hears that she is the heir to the O. Henry candy bar fortune, which is a candy bar that he also describes uh, in, in those, uh, you know, did, in those rapid fire. Yeah, did, uh, did you catch what he said? He's like, the O. Henry candy bar is one of our top selling candy bars. <laughs> Does this mean that Jackie Childs is like the corporate attorney for O. Henry? <laughs> I wouldn't maybe he owns some stock or something, which would be a conflict of interest either way. <laughs> or maybe he's just talking as humans. It's it's one of humans' most popular candy bars. Oh, maybe? maybe? One of human beings' most popular candy bars. <laughs> yeah, it is weird. He said that's one of our most popular... Maybe in his office? Maybe he has a vending machine in his office. Maybe he does. <laughs> I didn't think of that. Okay. Uh, or but- he could own a bunch of vending machines. That's, we don't know how diversified he is. That's very true. He might have a very diverse diverse portfolio. <laughs> yeah. um, but I, I did like his line because Kramer's like, what, what do you think? Do, do you think we have a case? And Jackie's like, it's like taking candy from a baby. Yes. Jackie is in. Back at the cabin, George is fantasizing about making trades. The Bonds and Griffey <laughs> thing that we were talking about earlier, like writing stuff down. And um, and he puts Susan's mind at ease about the car scheme. She's like, I don't know. If, you know, is this such a good idea? And um, and then we cut to jerry pulling into yankee stadium in just a busted up car like barely <laughs> making i don't know how he drove it 
the 30 minutes from his apartment to Yankee yeah, Stadium. Like if um <laughs> if if this is any indication, it just sputters that final 10 feet. I'm guessing he was going 3 miles an hour the entire <laughs> yeah. drive. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it it's surprising that it made it into the spot. And he can't even close the door. The The rearview mirror fell off, and he kicks it under the back of the car. Um, and up in Steinbrenner's office, Wilhelm comes in, and he saw the car and assumes that George, there's blood in the car, which we know from uh, Kramer's, I think it was Kramer's head wound. Um, and the, he assumes George is somewhere hurt uh, because the trooper that he is, he tried to go to work anyway. <laughs> and uh, after getting in a car accident, and, and we don't know where he is. Up in the apartment, Jerry runs into Sue Ellen Mischke looking for Kramer and invites her in. I loved when he's like, oh, you know, you can wait in here if you want. And she was like, oh, uh, you know, if it's not too much trouble or something like that. And and then he turns around and like starts trying to <laughs> unlock his door as fast as possible. I loved that movement. <laughs> uh, over at the stadium, George still can't be found. And Steinbrenner immediately jumps to, he's dead. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, but yeah, like he says, like... <laughs> He says that we need to call his parents. Is this where he says that we need to call his parents? Yeah, we have to notify his parents. Yeah, That's give right. me a, their parents' name. I think he says I'm going to notify them personally or something. That's right, yeah. Uh, the, he's like, the, the, the poor little guy, he he went as quick as he came. Uh, but uh, he, he says something about like lining up orders for candles, and he tells Wilhelm to line up uh. candidates for the assistant to the GM spot, because like we, we can't keep grieving. We need, to, we need to move back to business, or something like that. Yeah. He gets so much done in like one minute <laughs> of this scene. <laughs> yeah. And up in uh, Jerry's apartment, as Kramer says, Jerry's attitude has certainly changed since earlier that day. Uh, and of course, we know that Jerry has had a, a little rendezvous with Sula and Mishki. And so Jerry's unsure about testifying and he doesn't want to testify against Sue Ellen because he thinks he might have a shot with her. And Kramer is badgering her uh, or badgering Jerry. And he looks down and finds an O. Henry candy bar in the trash, which, again, Jerry just tries to brush off as just being a delicious candy bar. But th- they do this exchange like, you're just out for sex. Well, you're just out for money. And then they, <laughs> yeah, they that's kind of where their argument ends. Back at George's, Steinbrenner, uh, so George's parents' house, Steinbrenner knocks on the door and he breaks the news uh, <laughs> to uh, the Costanzas. And he's talking about what a hard worker George is and what a dynamo. And and Estelle goes, are you sure you're talking about George? <laughs> this is great. And then, like, in the middle of Estelle crying, Frank just yells at him over trading Jay Buhner for Ken yeah. Phelps. Yeah, <laughs> and you can see him all distraught. And then when he finally <laughs> opens up, it's over the fact that he wanted to say something about Jay Buhner. And credit to, credit to the character of Steinbrenner, does not skip a beat, defends his decision decision to trade Jay Buhner. He's like, oh, yeah, he was a great prospect, but everyone in my club was telling me about Ken Phelps. Ken Phelps. <laughs> Ken Phelps bat. Ken Phelps. <laughs> <laughs> uh, over in Jerry's apartment, he walks in right as Frank is leaving a message. Oh, my on God. And, I, and this is, a, again, a classic Seinfeld <laughs> moment. Mr. Steinbrenner's here. George is dead. Call me back. <laughs> and that's the message. <laughs> And it's at that point that George uh, calls uh, right at the same time, and then Jerry realizes what's happened. They saw the busted up car. They can't find George anywhere, and they think he's dead. And so George has got to come back and somehow make this right. Uh, Over in Elaine's office, Jay Peterman comes in, and he was inspired by seeing Sue Ellen Mischke only in a bra. So he wants to market the bra 
as a top, and he has put Elaine in charge of this whole product. Uh, or, yeah, project product. And we get, like, the very beginning of a J. Peterman catalog story, because he, he even says, he's like, uh, make up something that's like a uh, Zelda Fitzgerald, uh, somebody in the 20s, driving all the men crazy. Uh, I don't know, have it on my desk by Friday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's done all the legwork, yeah. <laughs> Uh, or, it's a good start. He, he he has placed the dots for the connected dots puzzle. Yeah. Elaine just has to connect them. <laughs> over in the uh, over back at Yankee Stadium, George shows up in Steinbrenner's office on crutches with a head bandage, and he talks <laughs> about after the horrible accident, I crawled into a ditch, and I was eating grubs and drinking puddle water. And Steinbrenner says something about eating grubs, like oh, I never tried that or <laughs> something. It was just weird, uh, just more Steinbrenner weirdness. And he finds out that he lost out on the job. Mm-hmm. And it's at that point that he immediately drops the act and just like starts walking normally, picks up the crutches. <laughs> and, and once again, as Steinbrenner well, is ranting about who knows what, he just walks out of the office. Well, I, I, I don't want to skip over this. I loved because he's saying that uh, as he's laying there in the ditch, surviving on puddle water and grubs, it was in that moment I thought of a way that we can get Bonds and Griffey in the same outfield and we wouldn't even have to give up that much. And Steinbrenner, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the way he breaks the news to George, is like, well, don't tell that to me. Tell that to the new assistant general manager. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it, it's yeah. only It's been less than a week since... Uh, I mean, we're, we're led to believe it's been less than a week since Wilhelm walked in and said, yeah, th- this guy's not really working out, uh, but we th- we think you would be right for the job. What corporate organization ever moves on something in less than a week? T- I think tell, we, me, tell me that. I think we know that. I mean, Steinbrenner, I think, is famous for, like, you know, firing people immediately. I mean, we talked about that one. Who was it? Um uh, who was the manager that he fired like six times or whatever, and then brought back and then fired and then, yeah, I, I forget whoever was that it, was. Was it uh, um, was it Buck Showalter? Yes, yeah, <laughs> right. Was that or was that the one? Was that the current manager? Ba-da-ba. I, I I know the syllables. Ba da da ba 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 da da. Yeah, exactly. Okay, that that that's yeah, it. That guy manager <laughs> fired. A lot. <laughs> kill me. No, not Joe Girardi. Billy Martin. Billy Martin. Yeah, that was it. Ba- I knew I had the syllables down. Ba ba ba. Ba ba ba. Billy, Billy Martin. Martin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I think he was famous for like for this high turnover. But also, uh, uh, in addition to that, like Wilhelm, when he's talking to Wilhelm, he's like, "We're a business. We got to keep running a business. We're still doing business. You know, can't can't keep mourning like you said." Yeah. <laughs> Over at the courthouse, Elaine is testifying that she bought uh, the, the bra for Sue Ellen Mischke. She brought the same type of bra into the courtroom that uh, that day. Kramer talks about his golf game and how it's ruined. And, oh, Jerry, yes, Jerry, this is where I was able to figure out where their imaginary Magic Touch car wash was. He was like, and what did you see at the corner of 83rd and Columbus? 83rd and Columbus is right around the corner from Jerry's apartment. It's like, mm. seriously, just like right around the block. And so that's, again, 30 minutes from Yankee Stadium. <laughs> so it's not where the original uh, Gentle Touch car wash was, but this made-up Gentle Touch car wash at near 83rd and Columbus is, again, so far from Yankee Stadium. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Jerry is looking around at the courtroom, and, and Sue Ellen is giving him the eye, and he's like, I, I can't remember. And he evades as long as he can, but Jackie and all of his friends – Looking at him, finally cracks him, and he turns on Sue Ellen Mischke. And then Jackie Childs is like, we got this in the bag, except Stan advises, get her to try on the bra. 
So Jackie Childs does it because Kramer wants him to, and she tries it on. It doesn't fit, and they lose the case. Um, of course, this is an OJ gag. Yeah, we're still doing OJ gags like several years after. If the glove doesn't fit, you must acquit. When uh, um, those um, when was his trial? Was it ninety four? Yeah, I, I, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Okay. So I, do you do you feel like we're still in joke territory? I feel like we're still in joke territory because this is only uh, eighteen months removed from the trial. Yeah. Well, you know Jay Leno was still doing OJ material, so I guess Seinfeld could too. Let me let me see when it was actually. Um, oh, he was acquitted in '95. Okay, so this is the end of '95. So we're not even not even uh, that it, far. It was uh, June of '94 was the trial. Uh, yeah, June oh, of '94 oh, no. I think is when they were murdered. Oh, when, that's uh, right. opening statements were made on January 24th '95. Verdict was announced on October 3rd '95. Tim, oh. this, is, this is like three months after. This is oh, definitely this is, still joke territory. This is super timely. I guess I was thinking about. How crazy is it then that we had a a white bronco gag? It feels like years ago. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> and that's why you know they, they June that was June of ninety four. So that was like five days after the murder. Mm-hmm. June of ninety four was that, and then Seinfeld. <laughs> that was the Big Salad, which was season six, episode two. September 29th, 1994. So again, super timely there as well. Wow. I guess, yeah. This is the only timely reference in the history of this show. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why it felt to me like I was like, oh, this is this is so far after the fact. But no, it had only been a couple of months that they're doing a, a doesn't fit. And Jackie even mentions like, and besides, she's trying it over a leotard. Uh, the bra has to be next to the skin, like a glove. Uh, you know, for, <laughs> which is you know for a fact that if Seinfeld would have still been on the air in like oh seven oh eight, there would have been an entire episode of Kramer publishing his own book titled "If I Did It." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but let me see. I think um, when he was trying on the gloves, was it because he was wearing? Yeah, he was wearing rubber gloves underneath the evidence gloves. Mm-hmm. So again, that was kind of a the, her wearing a leotard and trying to and the, the fact that the bra doesn't fit was kind of a <laughs> gag on that too. It's like, yeah, a glove has to go right up against the skin. <laughs> God. <laughs> yeah, uh, we get one last little bit uh, from Elaine's office. Um, the coworkers drop by. They're wearing bras under blazers, aka as we find out, it's called the Gatsby swing top. Oh, God, <laughs> again, r- like solidly in the twenties, just like Jay <laughs> Peterman wanted the Gatsby swing top. Uh, so the coworkers drop by in bras and and uh, invite Elaine out, but she doesn't want to go. All right. Uh, do, do we have any homework for the episode? I, I think that's it, right? Yeah, I didn't. Okay. I didn't write anything down. Um. I, I didn't. I didn't write anything either. No, nothing really oh. stood out that we needed to look up. Yeah, we kind of did all of our OJ homework already. So, <laughs> yeah, that was it. Uh, okay, what do you like visually about this episode for cover art? <sighs> Boy, I mean, there's so many things. <laughs> I know. I mean, Sue Ellen just walking down the street <laughs> in, in the the swing top it could be. You know, is is kind of a, a shot uh, like a famous shot. I feel like from the show. Um, is there anything in the courtroom? Uh, I, I didn't have anything in the courtroom, but I did really like uh, the scene in Jerry's apartment where Kramer's telling Jerry that he needs him to testify and that he finds out that Jerry and Sue Ellen had, uh, had a thing. Uh, <laughs> and like it, Kramer's just like talking to like his back and it's just very dramatic and goofy. <laughs> that sounds good. 
Or you know what? Also, there's a shot when there's a very funny visual gag when uh, Elaine is talking to Sue Ellen in the very beginning, and when she says "hanging out," Elaine looks at her breast for a second. <laughs> That's I think right. That could be a funny shot too. I'll uh, I'll take a look at all of these and see <laughs> see what works best. Um, Excellent. What do you What do you want to do with the description? All right, let's hear it. So we had Kramer befriends a caddy who helps him improve his golf game. I don't hate this because it doesn't give away much about the episode. Yeah, but I I, w- I wish I could just take the golf game out. I like that. I like the caddy part. He doesn't play as big a role as because again, like George's storyline just takes. What if What if we do Kramer befriends a golf caddy? Semicolon. Elaine gets a friend a gift. Hmm. Let's see. It starts with Sue Ellen, and Sue Ellen doesn't really. Well, no, she does. I mean, really, Sue the the Sue Ellen getting the gift of the bra screwed up George's chances for a promotion. Yeah, it did. I mean, so so that is where it all starts. So I kind of like that. Um, what did you say? I, I, what did I, you say again? I said Kramer befriends a golf caddy. Semicolon. Elaine buys a gift for a friend. Or Elaine buys a friend a gift. I like I like buys a gift for a friend a little better. Yeah, and I wish we could put something in like Elaine's Elaine's gift to a friend. I mean, causes problems. Is that too ambiguous? Or I, I think it's a little ambiguous. I, I think that's a little uh, hilarity ensues for for yeah, me. Yeah, it definitely is. But I feel like Elaine buys a friend a gift isn't like that's sort of the end of the you know that that's sort of not. Um, informative enough, I feel like hmm. you know. Okay. Like oh she oh she buys a friend a gift. Like there's no. But then again, I guess Kramer befriends a caddy is kind of the same way. Elaine's gift to a friend goes awry. Leads to yeah. Elaine's Ela- gift to Elaine's a gift to a friend leads to a new fashion trend. Start starts a new fashion trend. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of like just the button on the whole episode. <laughs> Elaine's friend misuses her gift or something like that. Maybe Elaine's gift to a friend is misused. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Elaine's gift to a friend is misused. Yeah, I think that's okay. Yeah, I, I think that works. Uh, Kramer, <laughs> Kramer befriends a golf caddy. Semicolon. Elaine's gift to a friend is misused. There we go. Yeah, yeah. All right. So next week we have got season seven, episode thirteen, the seven. Original air date February first, nineteen ninety six. If you're looking at TV Guide that night, you are going to see Jerry's girlfriend wears the same dress. And Elaine loses a bike to Kramer. Hmm. If it's uh, the seven that I'm thinking of, I don't know if I. Um, I don't remember the. I don't know what the bike thing is all about. But all right, we'll just we'll just see what happens next week. How did you feel about the caddy? I really like this episode. Ah, okay. What did you like about it? Uh, I I thought there was a lot of good Frank moments. I, I thought there was a yeah. lot of good a lot of good quotes. I I. I liked how they didn't draw on like with the Steinbrenner gag of like how he he's uh, always like talking over people and people just walking out of his office because we we've seen a couple of episodes where they do that three times in one episode which I get the rule of thirds with comedy but it's been established at this point you only need to do it once for for it to be like calling back <laughs> to the joke um, but I they only did it once uh, I I liked how it. It, it was a real easy watch. Really good cameos from Jay Peterman and oh, yeah. and Wilhelm, I thought. I don't know. Yeah. I, I liked it. You know, thinking back, I do like the way it's written where that one innocuous gift 
leads to problems for everybody. Yeah. You know, it's like it's, that. It's it not, ruins. It's not yeah. multiple storylines converging into one. It's one storyline branching out into multiple things. Yeah. Yeah. It only just occurred to me when I was talking to you that I was like, well, because I almost started to say, oh, Sue Ellen doesn't have anything to do with George's promotion. I was like, well, wait a second. Yeah. If, <laughs> if she hadn't gotten the bra, Jerry and Kramer never would have crashed and George would be. So, yeah, it all it all branches out dovetails maybe is the the term for it i don't know um <laughs> but yeah I, I but i as much as i like it you know in, in retrospect when i was watching it it wasn't hitting me as like a 10 but it was like a solid it was like it hits a high baseline and it just stays there which i like okay um yeah it's like a, it's like a, a just a solid episode it's like a good you know solid seven or something like that but I, but i didn't have any laugh out loud moments i just appreciated it for just how I don't know. I just keep coming back to the word "solid." There's got to be yeah. a better word than that. <laughs> Interesting. You don't think it would? Uh, you don't think you would star this for the end of the season? I have not started. Interesting. I not start okay. It. I, I yeah. think this would make my top my my top episodes of the season at least so far. Yeah. Um, but I mean, we're only twelve episodes in so far. Um, yeah. I, I, I'd be interested to see how the the back the back nine of the episode goes if we're if we're going to use golf terms. <laughs> yeah, it, this episode delivers. I mean, it's a, it's just a great dependable episode. But as far as you know, making my end of the year list, I don't know if it's destined. But we'll see. We'll see. Uh, is that it? I think that's it. All right. For no hugging, no learning. I'm Tim Murphy. I'm Ted Haldewell. Be good. Be good.